Welcome into the Grace One Daily Podcast. My name is Jeremiah Johnson. This is going to be a verse-by-verse edition with Rick Maynard. Every week we dive into the Word of God. We go through verse-by-verse. Rick Maynard gives us insight to better understand the Word of God. So before we dive into that, thank you for joining us on the Grace Point Daily Podcast. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. Here we are, season number two. Lots of great content for you guys to partake of, to listen to. So we hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Rick Maynard. Thank you. I'm back again. Back again, as always. And so we just go right at it. Here we go, Rick. First Kings chapter six, verse seven. Okay. We are in the middle of uh, the building of the temple with Solomon building the temple that uh, David had plans for, but didn't get to build. Uh, and so some of these things are going to be just, uh, you know, information about what the temple looked like. You can uh, go online and find all kinds of videos, 3D-looking things to try to give you an idea of what that temple may have looked like. Obviously, it's not standing today, so you can't get any pictures or anything, but uh, but there's a lot of artist rendition, I guess, of what it might, may have looked like. But uh, So we won't try to recreate that on a, a non-visual podcast here. But My only question was, I know that there in Kentucky or wherever that is, there's like the life-size ark right. that they have. And is there something like that? Is there a life-size Solomon's Temple somewhere in the world to go visit? I don't think so. You can buy all kinds of models that you can set up and those kind of things. But I, as far as I know, oh, uh, there okay. may be something out there, but I don't know. Well, our next uh, building project. Yep, your next building project. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Before you die, Rick, you yeah. could build your last, could be your last building project. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to live that long or not. Okay. But, <laughs> but anyway, verse 7 says, In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. So it's just part of this whole process of, of what an amazing thing it was that not only didn't they build it right on site, but they built all these parts and pieces and brought them in and polished everything up before they even brought it there. And I, you know, I looked up, if you look up uh, Solomon's temple, one of the things you'll find in a lot of different places, and it, it's kind of amazing about how something that sounds so uh, ridiculous pops up everywhere. And one of those things, when it talks about dressing those stones, and of course we think, how would you cut, you know, such large stones? I mean, today we have saws and, you know, they dynamite rock and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But what would they have done back then? And it, it, this is, I mean, I am going to say this is probably a, a fable, but there was a thing called the Shamir worm. And it, it talked about that it could cut through stone that ingest and eat, emits sand. I mean, it's an actual worm, but it's, what's funny about it, if you look up the Shamir worm, it references Solomon's temple, as if Solomon would have used those to cut stone or whatever. Okay, an actual worm. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. an actual, so it's like, <laughs> but but how would, I mean, the time element there, how would you direct a worm to, you know, eat at a certain place, and I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but it's a, uh, it's an interesting uh concept i guess but an interesting insect but i really doubt that that's probably what happened uh there's even the fable that it uh, uh was used by moses to cut the ten commandments okay you know that it it actually of course you know again anything could be directed by god and but i doubt that the god of heaven would have to use a worm to be able to cut the stones <laughs> you know so um and then there's all kinds of uh fables and things out there about what happened to the stones you know some of them say that of course you know you got the the wall 
in Israel now that part of that is the the temple, mm-hmm. the Holy of Holies kind of thing. Um, but there's all kinds of fables if you read about any of this stuff. So, so we'll move on. Six eight. The entrance to the lowest floor was on the south side of the temple. A stairway led up to the middle level, and from there to the third, uh, probably like a spiral staircase. And and again, you know, you have to be careful what you read. And that's why, you know, some things that that I read, and not that I'm so intelligent, only I could understand. I'm not trying to say that. But a new Christian shouldn't read. Uh, you know, when they read some of these things, it's like, well, man, you know, it says that they use this worm to cut the stones or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they say, uh, if you read about this spiral staircase, it'll say, oh, it led to heaven and it was a representative, you know, represented the stairway to heaven. Hey, that's yeah, a good name for a song. man. Yeah. Well, oh, <laughs> yeah, well, we not. No, that was awful, awful group, awful <laughs> song. Never should have been written. But anyway, moving on. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, it's uh, lots of fables about lots of things. So be careful. All I'm saying, be careful what you read. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So uh, six nine. So he built the temple and completed uh, it, roofing it with beams of, and cedar planks. Uh, six ten, and he built the side rooms all along the temple. The height of each was five cubits, and they were attached to the temple by beams of cedar. And so I think we talked about this last time. Some of these things are just. Those are the details you would read if you had a blueprint laying in front of you. That, uh, and I don't mean to skip over things, but most and the, people, the equivalent of where it would be today was where at again. Uh, if we could find it today, it would be roughly be in what part of the world? The temple where? itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, in Jerusalem. In I Jerusalem, mean, yeah, okay. right in Jerusalem, in the city. So, uh, so eleven through thirteen, the word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple, you are building. If you follow my decrees, carry out my regulations, and keep all of my commandments and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David your father, and I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. Uh, this was probably given to him through Ahijah the prophet. And I, I found it interesting. You know, sometimes we think these guys just had, you know, like Noah and all of these guys who actually heard God's voice that every day, you know, during their prayer time, they spoke, and then they heard this audible voice from God, and then they spoke, and God's, you know, as if a conversation. And some of it may have been that way, mm-hmm. but but there's a statement that said that God only spoke to Solomon twice directly, that he only actually heard his voice two times, and the rest of the time it was through a prophet. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes the prophet heard a story from God to be told or maybe had a conversation with God. Maybe he was able to ask God, well, now, okay, you said this, but what about this other little detail? So, but I, I, there's three categories here with reward, and um, and one of the things that you have to think about with any of these when it's talking about building this temple, you know, we can get caught up in the building, and you know, again, we're being repetitive this morning, but it's not about the building. You know, that was a, a great place, mm-hmm. and people needed to be impressed because they were trying to show people how awesome God was. So uh, there was a element to people being in awe of where God's presence would dra- dwell. Yeah. So it might have been important for that time. It's not important for us today. You know, people get caught up in buildings. Right. And, and I will say, I think that that has, uh, I think it's better than it used to be because you see more, you know, metal buildings. They don't have a great, you know, 
stained glass and mm-hmm. and steeples and things that we used to think were so important with churches. Uh, you don't see that much anymore. Right. So I think churches have, look less churchy today. Right. Right. Overall. And that's, <laughs> and that's a good thing. You know? And we talked about today, I was just, just literally came from a pastor's meeting before I came here and we were talking about one of the pastors brought up, there's a documentary on Iran right now where people are just being saved in mass and the gospel's exploding in Iran, mm-hmm. but there's no projector screens. There's no buildings. Right. There's no nice, cute little ministry. There's no kids church, right. and, but the gospel is flourishing and it, you read those things and it's just so convicting because we look at what is important to us still in America today right. in terms of comfort, in terms of building, in terms of ministry, meeting our needs. And uh, it's just not about those things. Yeah, we're very spoiled. I'm reading a book and I don't, I don't honestly don't read much. Most of my reading is done for study purposes, you know, so I don't actually just sit down and read a book. But uh, I actually heard somebody talking about this guy and I, I can't even tell you his name right now, but the book's called In the Presence of Mine Enemies. And it's a uh, Vietnam POW telling his story. And, you know, part of his story was, you know, trying to keep from going insane, you know, in solitary confinement. I think he was there for seven years in prison. And he said he developed a routine every day that tried to keep his sanity, keep some order to his life and stuff. Cause you, you couldn't communicate with anybody. I mean, you weren't in a prison with, wow. uh, you know, 15 guys where you had conversation every day. And, uh, he talked about the fact that his whole life began to be about scripture and hymns. Mm. And so he, he tried to remember every hymn that he'd ever learned, tried to remember every scripture that he'd ever learned. And he would just get up and that would be his routine. He'd walk back and forth, you know, wow. reciting scripture and walk yeah. back and forth, you know, singing hymns and that kind of thing. So, you know, it really that's that really does bring it down to it's not about the temple. Right. You know, I mean he was living in filth and was able to worship and and praise every day. But but anyway, uh these these categories that he states here with the reward, it says if you go according to my decrees, um and and one of the definitions of decrees is things beyond human understanding. In other words, um I and I never can think of the the Jewish word for it, but there's a Jewish word for uh, obedience without understanding. So, uh, one of, and I use this as the example. One of the things was about Jews not eating pork. Well, we could say today, well, that was because they didn't have good refrigeration and they didn't have preservatives, and you know there was all kinds of things that it was just a, a health issue. But the idea was, for now, a lot of Jews still don't eat pork. Well, we have preservatives, we have refrigeration. But it's, a, it's called a commandment without reason. And it's not without reason. It's beyond reason. Mm. So sometimes God says, don't do this. And we try to figure out, well, what's wrong with it? I mean, isn't that the question of especially right. youth? Well, I don't see anything wrong with that. What's, what's wrong with that? That's the question. And, and the idea should be uh, kind of like a parent, because I said so. Yeah. You know, God has a right to say because I said so, yep. and and leave it at that. And so obedience, so a lot of the understanding about decrees was uh, doing things beyond human reasoning. God just said to do it, so I'm just going to do it. And the reward for that was I will fulfill my word with you that I spoke to David, your father. So, you know, in other words, if you'll obey those laws, and then it comes to laws themselves, 
the laws had to do with relationship with one another. So if you not only obey laws, because it'd be easy for us to stay home and obey the law. Well, I don't know how easy, but if that's all there was to it, we wouldn't need church, in other words. Yeah. And, yeah. and so these laws had to do with relationship. I, I listened to a series one time uh, talking about each of the, the Ten Commandments and not like, okay, what does it mean to not steal or what does it mean to not commit adultery or, you know, in other words, just bringing it to a meaning. The sermons were all based on what is the, what is the principle that God's trying to uh, you know, show in each one of those things. And so that's that's the idea. It's not just a set of laws. It's a principle that has to do with relationship. And that's what this guy was trying to bring out, that it all had to do with each one of those laws had to do with relationship with other people, you know, not just with God. But if you don't steal, that has to do with relationship with other people. Yeah. You know, if you, anyway, we, we won't get off on that. Well, and, but, yeah, not totally relative. I was even talking uh, discussion of the day about tithing, you know, someone mm-hmm. that well, why tithing? Why 10%? That's Old Testament, not New Testament. And so I really processed, was thinking through that whole thought thought process. And I was like, well, I think the real issue is just the willingness to give God everything. Right. You know, it's, it's when it comes to commandments, when it, if it's that particular issue, tithing, the issue for me is do I wake up every day with a willingness to surrender and give God everything? Right. And if I can do that, then and that's my heart and that's my passion, then when God speaks or challenges or encourage, encourages or corrects mm-hmm. or commands me, it's not really, yeah, it might be a sacrifice, but it's not that big a deal because I have already determined that everything I have and everything I want to pursue is is Jesus. So then it doesn't become that big a deal. Right, right. Well, the whole tithing issue, it, it goes back to, uh, and again, the same series of sermons I was listening to was talking about the Sabbath. You know the Sabbath rest. Yeah, that you know the idea is God with tithing, God can do more with, uh, or you will be able to do more with ninety percent than you could have done with a hundred percent. You know God can do more with ninety, and it was the same thing with the idea of the Sabbath. You can get more accomplished in six days if you'll give that seventh day of rest to the Lord. You'll get more done in the other six days. You know, yeah. so there's principles for those things that God sets in motion for our benefit. You know, he doesn't need our money and he doesn't need our time. You know, Amen. God's kingdom's going to go on <laughs> fine whether I serve him or not. He's still going to, you know, find somebody to teach my class and play guitar or do whatever it is that I do. Somebody else is going to step in there and do that. So uh, anyway, but the laws uh, and the reward for that says, I will dwell within the children of Israel. And then the third one was keeping commandments. So these kind of run together, laws, commandments, uh, decrees, all of these things, but and it, and the reward for that says, I will not abandon my people Israel. Now, you know, you could argue the points. Well, I thought you know the sermons always say God will never leave us or forsake us. So, but now it says God will abandon. Uh, I don't think that means that God doesn't. You know, He completely. You know, we think of abandonment as completely walking away and never having anything to do with somebody again. You know, abandon mm-hmm. your children or uh, something like that, but. The word is not so much that, that God walks away, because we know he doesn't. We know God always loves us. We know God's always waiting for us to come back. But the abandonment is more about, hey, I'm not doing these things for you when you're not living for me kind of thing. You know, it's a, I hate to say give and take, but uh, God does love us the whole time. He never leaves us or forsakes us. 
But there's times when it, we can't expect God's blessings if we don't live for him. Yeah. I, I mean, I think instantly thinking to Old Testament, I've been reading through Jeremiah right now, mm-hmm. where the book of Jeremiah, where God is like gave them into slavery. He, right. he, he left them. He mm-hmm. abandoned them. He let them step into that scenario. But right. yet the whole time he was already thinking redemption. Right. He was always think, already thinking restoration. He was always thinking about their future and how he was going right. to redeem them and restore them. I think of the prodigal son in the New Testament, mm-hmm. right? That that father was there waiting to restore, to redeem, but yet he still let him, right? you know, like God said, I'll leave the 99 for the one, but he didn't leave mm-hmm. his house to chase that prodigal. He let that prodigal have to figure things out right. a little bit. And so right. God seems to do that if in his people. It's not it's not that he abandons us, but he gives us over to our own ways. Really what I what I think the hopes that we'll realize that those ways are not the best ways. Right. And then that causes us it causes a return back to him. We abandon him more than likely is what happens. Yes. But uh six fourteen, so Solomon built the temple and completed it. Uh it only that only refers like to the outer walls. In other words, he finished framing it. <laughs> if you were looking at our uh, society today. But uh, all of these things depended on, you know, Solomon's conduct. Uh, it, it depended on those who were going to come ahead of him. And, you know, God said, if you'll do this, I will bless the future generations. So uh, it would come into, um, you know, his successor's conduct and his people's uh, conduct, uh, conduct. It seems like a lot to ask. Uh, it would be, uh, again, I use the king or whatever as the reference to our modern-day pastors. Um, it, it would be a symbol to say, you know, Pastor Jeremiah, I'm going to bless this church, and it's, it's based on what's happened in the past. I mean, obviously, this church has been established for a long time. It's, it's dependent on all those other pastors who came up to this point. But the blessings, and he can say to you, he can say, I'm going to bless this church for, ge- for the generations to come. Well, that's dependent on, you know, the conduct of the people. If the people in this church mm-hmm. turn away and the doors shut, you know, God wasn't unfaithful. It was the people that were unfaithful. Yeah. But what he's saying here is it's dependent on you. It depends on your conduct if this church is to be blessed. It depends on the conduct of those people from the past. It depends on what's going to happen in the future, and it's dependent on my conduct as a as a person of this congregation. People like to look at God's promises as if, you know, He well, you just you promised, but they don't like the the if then. Yeah, you know, if you do this, then I will <laughs> bless. Then I will do these things. They don't like that part of it. They like the promise part. So, um, uh, so you can refer that to the pastor and. And the blessings on the church, they are dependent on things. You can't just come in here, yes. well, God promised to bless me, and God <laughs> promised to bless this church. You know, there's some things we have to do, you have to do, and I have to do. It's not all your responsibility as a pastor. So 615, he lined its interior walls with cedar boards, paneling them from the floor to the temple, floor of the temple to the ceiling, and covered the floor of the temple with planks of pine. Um, they were uh, Everything had to be, in other words, you put the stone up, and, I, and again, I've never uh, covered anything with gold, so I don't know. Uh, when I built your house, I didn't put any gold walls in there, <laughs> oh, I don't man. think. But I wonder um, what kind of paneling that was, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 70s paneling. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah the, maybe uh, just 70, not 70s. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but uh, they say gold, gold won't stick to rock. 
So they had to put the stones in, then they had to panel. So it's like, well, why panel it and then cover it with gold? Uh, again, that's a building thing that I'm not familiar with. So uh, 16, he partitioned off 20 cubits at the rear of the temple with cedar boards from floor to ceiling to form within the temple an inner sanctuary, the most holy place. Uh, the temple is the entire building. The sanctuary uh, is the holy place. And the inner sanctuary is the holy of holies. So if you're looking at diagrams of those uh, things, uh, that's what you would find. The main hall in front of this room was 40 cubits long. And again, that's the most holy place. The inside of the temple was cedar, carved with gourds and open flowers. Everything was cedar. No stone was to be seen. And again, because everything's covered with gold, you're not going to see the stone anywhere. 619, he prepared the inner sanctuary within the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. Uh, This is the same Ark that that Moses had, same Ark that came from the wilderness. They didn't have to uh, uh, rebuild it. you know, and again, there's many theories about what happened to the ark, you know, over the years. I mean, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and we've seen all kinds of things where they've, you know, I've seen where it's in some uh, monastery in Turkey, you know, and they guard it there day and night and, you know, that kind of thing. I, you know, I don't think it probably exists. That's my opinion. I don't think it's out there. Yeah. It, that's where the Infinity Gauntlet is and everything else. That's where Thanos had to go. No, I was just kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, you're really, wow, you're, I didn't even know those biblical yeah, characters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, uh, let's see, where am I at? Verse 19. Um, it, it was, some of them believe that they actually had a, a hole where if the temple was ever destroyed or whatever, that it could be saved. And there actually was a, a hole that they said they found, but it was filled in. There was no mm. ark, you know, still under there. There was no hole where it looked like it had been or anything like that. So, you know, probably in one of the battles or something, it was destroyed, melted down. Um, you know, that that's part of the way you destroy a nation is is by destroying the most important things yeah. for a nation. It, uh, you know, I think back to 9-11, you know, yep. they hit the towers. That was our financial to show us they could hit our financial. Yep. Uh, they hit the Pentagon to show us they could hit our military, in other words. Uh, that's mostly what that represents. Uh, they were aiming for, was it the White House or the Capitol that the one was supposed to hit? Um, I, the one that went yeah, down in that Pennsylvania. That is a good point. I forgot now. I can't remember either. But but anyway, to, to hit our government or the thing that was representative of our yes. government. So, you know, they were trying to hit us where hurt you know because i've said many times they could have killed more people if they would have dropped a plane into a football game yeah i mean right right there's eighty thousand people there they probably could have killed almost all of them in a you know Mm -hmm. but that it wasn't about the number of people that they wanted to kill it was about the places that they wanted to strike yeah i think they would have been happy if they had knocked them down even if nobody died yeah you know if they could have destroyed those so uh verse 20 the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long 20 cubits 20 wide and 20 high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold and also overlaid the altar of cedar. And we are going to um, not necessarily stop the podcast here, but we're going to skip from what's in 21 on, and we're also going to skip chapter 7. Now, you know, I always explain. (laughs) All of you that love to skip the Bible, this is your favorite part right right, here. This is that part. (laughs) You know, my favorite part's where, you know, those Ten Commandments, 
you know, I like to skip that. So <laughs> that makes me much happier if I don't have to obey. But, uh, but you know, so many of these things. And, and if you want to, if you're the kind of person, and I have studied some of these things and, and I've studied, you know, what different parts represented when it came to Christ, you know, to, to Jesus' sacrifice. And, uh, you know, we can talk about the showbread and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. We can talk about the water uh, that they used to cleanse. And Jesus said, you know, I'll give you living water. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of illustrations that came back to messianic things. They weren't thinking that when they built it. They didn't think, well, now if we do this, then someday that's going to represent Jesus, you know. But that's that was God's plan that those things would be replaced. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the things, uh, there was a festival of lights, Yom, Yom Kippur. That's when Jesus came in and said, I'm the light of the world, you know, during that festival. So there was different times that he took those things that they understood from the Old Testament yeah. and brought those into that's the way it was, and now this is the way it is. And so, you know, I'm not saying any of these, the temple furnishings, that's pretty much, uh, it talks about Solomon's palace, the temple furnishings, all those kind of things. But it's a lot of that repetitive, it was this big, it was, you know, it was gold, it had this in it, it had water, it had, you know. So I'm not saying they're unimportant, but if you want to study those things, you can study those, you can find all kinds of information about each one of those things if you want to, uh, really look at that. So, so we're skipping again. If you like the skipping part, that's what we're doing here. Uh, we're going to uh, chapter eight. So, this is after those things have been completed. Those the furnishings, his palace, all of those things. And in eight one, it says, "Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel." and all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant uh, from Zion, the city of David. So uh, this is this would be a little bit equivalent maybe to a presidential inauguration, only you're dedicating a, a building, in other words. And, and you know, we've had dedications. Uh, you know, I wasn't actually here in 1980. It's one of the one-year times that I wasn't living oh, here. Oh, man. Yeah, when they <laughs> built this uh, church. But there was a big dedication. You know, yeah. they, uh, I think they left the other church in a line of vehicles. You know, they went there and met. Then they drove to this new building. And I'm sure there was probably people from the district office that were here that day that spoke and, uh, you know, different things. I mean, we had a, a big, or they, I wasn't, again, I wasn't here, but a big celebration, celebrating a new place. Not so much, again, the building and it is nice. You know, I, I remember the old church. It's still standing. It's a Hispanic church now. <laughs> yep. And the old wooden pews that creaked and cracked, you know, they didn't have padding and on them. it still looks and, the same. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> it's a it's a little different color. Right, you know, right. The uh, Hispanics are a little more colorful with things. It's blue yep. now instead of uh, buff brick color. But, um, but uh, you know, I remember that church. And sure, it's nicer to have a nicer building. You know, that church was... Uh, the basement flooded when we had big rains. We couldn't use the basement because you did a couple inches of water down there. And I can still kind of smell the smell of, uh, you know, the mildew, yeah. moldy smell of the church. And so, you know, it is nice to have a new building. I don't knock that. But um, but anyway, this was this was just a time of bringing all these people, the princes, the 
the judges, all of those people coming together for this great. And I, I just made a little side note. You know, they're bringing the ark, and again, you could do a whole study or series of sermons on the ark and where it was. But let me just read through the list of where where has the ark been. So they're they're bringing it back, but where's it been? Uh, it was removed from the temple in the time of Eli. It was captured by the Philistines. It was regained back from the Philistines. It was 20 years in the house of Abinadab. Uh, David tried to bring it back, and that's when uh, Uzzah reached out, touched the ark, and was killed for not necessarily touching, but for the irreverence of touching the ark. So Uzzah was killed when they were trying to transport it, so they took it to the house of Obed-Edom. And then David made a a tent for it in the city of David because it says he brought it out from the city and put it in the temple. And uh, there's, uh, I've read a couple of statements that says, without the presence of God, it is like a vacant house. So, you know, if you think about that in our, you know, our church is the modern-day temple as far as where we meet. You know, I know we say, well, no, the temple's inside of us. Mm-hmm. I get that. But but the church is the biggest represented, re- representation of the temple where they met, you know, to offer their sacrifices and things. But, you know, I've been in this church many times when no one was here. You know, I've walked into the sanctuary, and it's totally silent. And it's, you know, I don't go in and flip on all the lights, and you have a little bit of light coming in through the stained glass. And, you know, and it is serene, and I kind of, I like that a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. to feel kind of that peace feeling. But if that's the way this place always was, wouldn't it be a sad right. reflection that you've got this? I, I, you know, not only with churches, I I feel bad when I drive by anywhere and see vacant buildings, yep. things that used to be something. Yeah, yeah, you know, and they've taken a, a lot of the old Walmart stores have become churches. You know, mm-hmm. so it's been good that they've been. You know, the Fairview Christian Church it was a Walmart at one time. Um, I I like seeing that. But it's just a sad thing, and the worst, the saddest thing there is, is to see a church that's closing down. Yeah, you know. Well, you can see in in the area we live in here, Carthage, Missouri. It's this historic downtown has this historic thing. Right. And I've gone in some of the buildings where it ha- they have some of the old pictures from back in the day where right. downtown was a hub, oh, yeah. the hub of activity in different events where there were hundreds of people, mm-hmm. and you drive there now, and it's like flea market stores uh and just old decrepit buildings and you look at that and you're you know your mind says or me or my mind says there used to be life here right right and so it's a it's a sad reflection and i think about the square you know i'm 62 years old but i still remember those days where there was no walmart you know there was no dollar stores there was nothing like that if you needed anything you either i mean i remember when the mall came into joplin that was like man that was a major thing to have a mall mm-hmm. this close because Springfield would have been the closest mall yeah. before that. And so I, I remember those buildings on the square where, you know, they, J.C. Penney was there, Sears was there, you know, Western Auto was there. I mean, you could go on and on about all the clothing stores and, you know, you could rent your tuxedos in one of the stores uptown for weddings and all those kinds of things. But So it's sad when you see a building that's empty, but it's the saddest thing. Uh, without the presence of God, it's a vacant house mm-hmm. in other words yeah and uh and then another was a description of a body without a soul 
you know, a body that just walks around lost. And I know they're not without a soul, but a body without Jesus yes. is a sad thing to know that there are people walking around out there that don't have Jesus in their life and how sad that is because there's an emptiness there, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so for David, this that whole uh, verse there is about bringing back, uh, uh, building a place to house the presence, but then bringing the presence uh, back into the temple. And I think that there's a great lesson for us to learn there that uh, this church, you know, uh, Moses said, unless your presence go with us, we don't want to go. Yep. And I, I think it's a great reflection on a church that says, Without God's presence here, then the doors might as well be closed. Yep. You know, we might as well shut the place down. So I think we're probably about out of time there. So, yes, sir. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope you listen to every episode of the verse by verse with rick maynard good stuff really diving in going deep hey if you guys listen to the grace one day podcast you can listen to it anywhere but if you listen to it on the anchor platform i want to encourage you guys you can smash the support this podcast button you can leave us a voice message or send us a message on gracepointdaily at gmail.com we'd love to connect with you guys further but until then we'll talk to you next time 